From our 901 Mission Street studios, you are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Welcome to Daybook Podcast. I'm Chronicle pop culture critic Peter Hartlob, here with digital arts and entertainment producer Annie Weinstein. Welcome, Annie. Thanks so much. Happy to be here. Gabby Lala is our guest today, frontwoman of the girl band Snow Angel, a sitar player, and also an ASMR artist. What is ASMR? So ASMR is, it stands for Autonomous Sensory Meridian Response. And it's a sensation that people feel in their brain that sort of feels like brain tingles or static that starts in the scalp um, and moves down the body. And the sensation is usually induced by a variety of stimuli, which are things like whispering or tapping or hairbrushing, um, things like that. And it's been popularized online with simulations on YouTube that are now known as the ASMR phenomenon. Yeah, videos. There's a lot of videos. We have an example from Gabby Lala, who partners with Sayuri Kimball to make ASMR whisper crafting videos. Here's Gabby and Sayuri's candy sandwich. Welcome to ASMR crafting. That was the winner of the funniest category in the Spliff Film Festival in San Francisco in May. And now you're working on a bigger story about ASMR. What have you learned by talking to people like Gabby Lala? So I've learned that ASMR as sort of a phenomenon really naturally lends itself to different kinds of art. Um, and my story is about how these different digital artists are either incorporating elements of ASMR or subverting elements of ASMR. But I think the broader thing that I've learned from reporting on this is that even though ASMR might seem like a new and weird and strange corner of the internet, people who experience ASMR say they've been feeling it since they were as young as toddlers. Well, it's a fun conversation. You talk about Gabby Lala's early years as an artist, her work with Primus bass player Les Claypool, and potential for ASMR-guided meditation in person. Datebook Podcast, thanks for listening. So Gabby, you've been making music for a while now, but you recently got into ASMR. Can you tell me a little bit about your first impressions of ASMR the first video you watched and what you thought of it. Okay, well, um, I'd say Sayuri and I were at our friend Cece's office, and Cece is a filmmaker, and she was like, you've got it. She loves, like, that angry cat, and she loves memes, and she's just, like, got her finger on the pulse of weird internet media stuff. Like, um, So she was like, you got to check this ASMR out. It's so funny, like... So we were like, okay, we don't know what this is. And she put on something. I think it was a girl, like, doing, like, makeup brushes or something. Like, 
I don't know, brushing the brushes. <laughs> and it was just so hilarious. And we looked at each other and we said, we have to do this. So we did. <laughs> and so how did it kind of transition to that initial moment of being like, I want to, we could do this, I want to do this to actually setting the stage for making it the big project that it is now? Um, well, Sayuri used to be kind of the merch girl for my band. So she used to be the merch girl for my band Snow Angel. And the band kind of fizzled out at a certain point. And then we ended up at Cece's office watching this. And it was kind of like, we have to figure out something to do so that we can keep hanging out all the time. <laughs> you know, sometimes like you need a project for your friends to get together. And um, so we said, let's do this. Um, ASMR let's try doing an ASMR video and uh, we said what well what can we do I I'm like a singer and musician and I'm into making video art and she was like a crafter and we're both I I'm always crafting as well so we said let's do a craft tutorial and um, and we decided to we set a date and we had a few different project ideas and uh, we set it up in her living room, and the first few videos were born. And can you talk about the first video, the setup for it, how you got the idea for it? Um, so Sayuri is she sells um, like jewelry and risograph prints and things like that um, on her Etsy shop, and she does like art shows and things like that. And so she had created these Dino Dangler earrings. They're like little toy dinosaurs that dangle off the earrings. So we said, well, let's start with that, and it can also promote your your thing. So um, we said, okay, well, let's figure out what are we going to do. We're just like on the spot. We set everything up, and we looked at each other. We said, okay, let's just say, like, thank you for watching. <laughs> and like, we came up with our little um, beginning tagline and uh, – and we said, okay, you lead this one because that's your project, and I'll just follow along. So she pretty much taught me how to do it in the video. And then hopefully people have done it. I don't know. And so talk a little bit about, like, the other videos that you've done. I mean, now you've made a lot of videos, and you're, one of your videos won Funniest at the Spliff Film Festival. <laughs> so what, are been, what have been some of the other videos for people who haven't, who haven't seen it or are or who are unfamiliar with whisper crafting okay uh, we have created I think 17 or 18 videos so far and um, the first one was the dino danglers we also did slime because slime was really big when we first started I guess I mean slime is always popular but it was a big deal so I was like I'll lead how to make slime because I had learned how to do it and um, then from then we did um, a watercolor painting tutorial, and we did a friendship cake where we decorated a fake cake with real frosting and candy and dolls. And then um, we haven't released this one yet. We did onigiri, um, which is like a rice ball. And uh, that one's actually in Japanese. Oh. And Sayuri speaks Japanese, and she taught me how to say a few things. And I was like, this is so cool. I look like I really can speak Japanese. <laughs> um, 
so we whisper in Japanese, and then um, we made a fake pizza, which was very popular. And um, our latest one, well, the the one that won funniest at Spliff is Candy Sandwich, which is very near and dear to our hearts. And it was a great experience <clears throat> making and eating the candy sandwich. Can you describe that video for people who might give kind of the, the bullet points of the video for people who might not have watched it? Of course. Um, so in the video, we start by cutting open a croissant. And it was a really fresh croissant. It was like, and it smelled really good. I mean, we smell it on camera, and I can still smell it when I watch the video. So we put the the croissant and then um, chocolate sauce, of course. And I think there are Skittles, gummy worms, sour O's, those little, like, um, crispy cream-filled Asian, like, panda cookies and wafer cookies and uh, the magic ingredient, of course, for health is the rainbow sprinkle, which you have to keep because it's important. I think it was, like, a big health trend for a while. Like, you have to have something of every color in your meal, and that was, like, an easy way to judge whether... You're, you're having a healthy meal. So we say, if you sprinkle this on gingerly, then you know you're healthy. Of all the fads that have been around, the, the, rainbow, the rainbow sprinkles, the rainbow colored is the one that I think has sustained all of them. So I'm happy that you guys were conscious enough to include it. Thank you. You know, for the health of your viewers. Um, so... I want to kind of talk a little bit about ASMR um, and your relationship to ASMR kind of outside of your project. So since you watched the first initial POV, you know, hair brushing style video, do you watch ASMR recreationally, like for yourself, aside from your videos? Or what what's your personal relationship with the genre? Well, I personally go on to... Instagram mostly. I go through the ASMR like hashtag things and usually I get stuck on like the food ones. I really like watching people eat food which is like called mukbang and um, so like a really crispy tempura appeals to me and and then I also like when they have like those shaped ice with like colored liquid inside and then these girls are eating like a ice thing and it like crunches and then the juice runs out (laughs) so that's the kind of thing that I like to watch and um but also just it kind of puts you in a meditative state watching this like very quiet very like simple um presentation yeah there's something about you know, I guess how do you conceptualize, like, if you've thought about why you're drawn to ASMR, why it seems to be so popular and, like, something that that any one person could could probably find a genre that appeals to them and that sort of they're mesmerized by? Um, well, like, what draws me to the ASMR is 
I think I, I personally tend to get super amped up and excited about things, and then it gets louder and crazier and more exciting and out of control. And like, I witness that happening for a lot of people. And even if it's something they're not excited about, like maybe they're annoyed about something and it can keep building and building and and then it's hard to regain focus or regain composure so I feel like the ASMR whispering it just kind of like pulls everything down into a more calm state where you can relax again and get focused mm-hmm. do you do you experience like the sensation of ASMR? Like aside from enjoying it, like do you feel brain tingles? Do you f- do you do you actually experience ASMR when you're watching those videos? I do. Yeah, I feel like a little tingle at the back of my neck and then like down my spine. But I mean, it's not every single one. Mm-hmm. It's sometimes you know some things work for you, and some things um, are working in a different way of like just quiet enjoyment yeah and it feels like it's kind of it's you know we we live in a time now where um we spend so much time on the internet and getting amped up like in our heads on the internet that like asmr seems like perfectly fitting in the context of social media like kind of a a brain break and like a just a neutral state like it's not good or bad it's just kind of like balanced yeah it's a good contrast to a lot like the noise (laughs) um that that's out there there's so much like just being thrown at you everywhere we go on social media that if you like run into an asmr thing it kind of like dissolves that wall of noise for a second and then i don't know they have those relaxation things for people who are at their desk all day like maybe something it's like that for social media scrollers that <laughs> it kind of like stops you is like okay take a deep breath like decompress for a minute and like and then you can go back to your crazy scrolling <laughs> the self-described scrollers yeah it feels like kind of one of the one of the only things maybe this is a gross generalization but one of the only things on the internet that's like doesn't have that much you don't need context you don't need history it's kind of like outside of culture it's just like a visually relaxing meditative thing but it's for people who don't like meditation it's maybe another exactly potential creative offshoot of that and while Sayuri and I do enjoy meditation like she's actually at a meditation like silent retreat right now that's why she's not here. <laughs> she's meditating. Um, so, like, even for us, and we love meditation and quiet time, sometimes that becomes, like, cliche or just, like, too much of, like, a trendy thing. That we want something that we can relate to, that is artistic, that is ridiculous, and that's funny has like humor is so important to keep us feeling positive and uplifted in our lives like there's so much negativity and like hardship in the world that um I think humor is a big uh, reason why we want to present the ASMR videos is we want to like give people a way to relax 
decompress and like laugh a little bit. Mm-hmm. Just get them to a positive state. And it feels like, you know, humor is such a humor and friendship are such essential components of your ASMR. You know, there's like so much ASMR out there, but it feels like there's this, there's this almost like telepathic rapport that you guys have for each other. And I'm wondering Aww. maybe if you can talk about that and how, um, you know, how you kind of see your friendship as like a part of ASMR or um, how it connects to it. Uh, I, our friendship is a deep part of our our project and it's something that we really want to like put out there is like the importance of friends and the importance of like spending quiet time with friends because a lot of I feel like there's parties and there's work and then there are not that many times where you can like sit quietly with a friend and connect in that kind of way and I mean even the ASMR videos are mostly um a single person so they're talking to the viewer and um, our videos you get to see us interacting together and with the viewer so kind of like pushes forward the importance of community and the importance of you know like not being alone and that you can have a quiet time and it's important to have real real life friends too not just your internet friends (laughs) can you guys can you talk about how you two got to meeting because it was an interesting story we met through a a monthly actually it was a weekly art meetup kind of thing that um we created at a gallery called naming gallery in oakland and it's actually a place where i met most of the people who have been in my band and that on 15th Street in downtown Oakland it's like a lot of cute shops and galleries and artists and it's been kind of a hub for all my projects so I I worked with the naming gallery to create this event and they brought in some different artists to be the foundational artists for the weekly thing and Sayuri was one of them And so we met there, and, like, the second week, she and I and this um, woman, Elise Osborne, who's a tarot reader, we all showed up in the exact same shade of orange, head to toe, and we were like, best friends for life. (laughs) So I think it was just from that day um, we we had a connection. And it was after that that you invited her to be your your guys's merch girl for your band snow angel right yeah was, the um the scaz was ending and then um so again it was me trying to find another reason to spend more time together and so i was like you should be our merch girl like then you can set up your stuff and sell you know, more opportunities to sell and then we can all hang out more and so she started doing that and then led to the asmr so can you <clears throat> talk about your band, Snow Angel, for people who might not have known? My band, Snow Angel, was kind of the second chapter of my musical journey. Um, I started out um, with two albums under my name, Gabby Lala. And then um, after I had my son, Django, um, 
I was writing a different kind of song, like just as you grow up and mature and your life changes, so songwriting changes. And um, so I wanted to have a different name to represent this like new chapter of my life, my musical life. And I formed the band um, Snow Angel, and um, it started as a duo. And I had a few different partners in that duo, um, Pamela Parker and Rachel Lark and um, Miriam Spire. They're all like really wonderful female musicians. And, um, and then I was like, I don't know, I ran into all these girls on 15th Street at the naming gallery and um, I recruited like all of them at once. They were all like singing on the street and I was like you guys should be in a band like you should be in a band with me and they all like were down so it ended up being like nine people in the band and uh, we put out a double single on vinyl and um, and then a full-length album So you, you mentioned that Snow Angel came out of like, you know, this process of maturity, process of like a, a new chapter. Can you maybe elaborate on like what you felt at the time that you started Snow Angel and like what the project meant to you in comparison to what your earlier stuff had had been like? So my Snow Angel era was really about like community and like speaking from a place of we and us and this is our time like and really trying to speak um, with and for and about um, the female community and to lift lift up all like the women and be like we've got to support one another we can be stronger more effective and more productive when we work together. So that was my intention behind that. So you notice if you listen to the songs, it's they're all like we we love and this is who we are and what we're gonna do. And um, before in my first two albums, um, which were Gabby Lala albums, they were more stories or like cautionary tales and a little bit more like magical, fantastical. Mm-hmm. Yeah, talk a little bit about your your early musical history. So, you know, I know you grew up in the Bay Area. How did you get started and like transition to becoming a musician? I started playing the piano when I was five years old um, after um, my neighbor came over from hearing me singing from inside her house across the street. And I was actually singing songs from Annie. <laughs> so we were just talking. When I came in, we were saying, like, oh, like. Tomorrow? Are you like, the, like the orphan Annie. <laughs> and so, like, it's been kind of an obsession <laughs> since my earliest days. 
And um, so I used to sing the Annie songs really loud. And this woman came over, was like, I hear someone singing in your house to my mom. And my mom was like, I'm sorry. Like, I'll ask her to be more quiet. She's like, no, no, no. That girl's going to be a singer one day. And she should come take piano lessons from me. So that was my first musical experience was going to across the street for piano lessons with um, this woman, Mrs. Ho. And um, I just remember going into her house and it was like several pianos. And my memory of it was that it had like stacks and stacks of like books and it was a little messy and crazy, but um, and it was right across the street. And so, and you, I mean, now you play all kinds of instruments. You play the piano, the sitar, omnichord. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about, I know you studied sitar, um, sort of how you got into the sitar as an instrument and like why it was so appealing to you. I, I got into a habit of switching instruments frequently and my parents were really, really cool about it. I think that, and I was talking to a friend yesterday I think about this um, about the importance of like keeping music in your child's life and just like everyone gets bored with you can get bored with whatever you do even your favorite thing to do so if they're bored with that instrument like my parents always let me switch instruments but I never quit music so I was saying maybe just let her switch instruments but not quit music altogether and I think that that's a good way to keep interest and keep that kind of flowing through your life Um, so I I switched instruments a lot I played the accordion and the guitar and then I heard the sitar on a record because I was into garage sailing and buying old records and I was really into Bob Dylan and Um, any music like from the 60s and 70s and I was wearing bell bottoms and being groovy (laughs) Um, as I started high school and then um, I found the George Harrison record All Things Must Pass and I didn't know what the instrument was but I liked the sound of it and so I told I asked my mom, I said, I would like to play whatever that is. I don't know what it is. And she knew because she was a young adult in the 60s. And <laughs> and she said, that's a sitar. And she found that the Ali Akbar College of Indian Music was not far from where we lived. So I was very fortunate to be able to take classes with Ali Akbar Khan um, from the time I was 13, all through high school. And um, I studied right with him. He'd have me sit in the front row with his son, Alam, and all the, any young people, he'd have them in the very front. So I I had a close um, relationship (coughs) student and teacher for many years till he died. And then you, you went on to study sitar at CalArts. I did. with right? um, Rajiv Taranath was my teacher at CalArts, and he was a senior disciple, is a senior disciple of Ali Akbar Khan and mm-hmm. an amazing teacher and mentor. So, um, yeah, a lot of classical music in my teens and 20s, and then 
once I was at Cal Arts, and I always wanted to like rock out and jam and be like a rock star kind of thing. But then I got really into the classical music, and I was very driven to like be the best and practice a lot and do go as far as I could. But then I realized that when when I play from the heart, it wasn't the correct thing for Indian classical music. And Ali Akbar Khan always said, play hard, play from the heart. And so I decided I got to really follow my guru's advice and uh, play from the heart. So I switched and started doing my own music. Yeah. So and, and that was in that was after Cal Arts or around the time when you were living in L.A. Can you yeah tell me a little bit about that time and what kind of music you were making and who you were playing with? what your musical life was like then? Um, so when I was at Cal Arts, I would do a lot of um, music at school, um, doing all different um, world music things. Like I play, I danced in the African ensemble and sang, and I did Javanese and Balinese dance. I was really into like ethnomusicology kind of thing. And then... Um, my friends, who were more in like the jazz school, they would be playing in different bands, and they would invite me to come play in some things. So then I started playing with a few different bands, and um, I had the chance to, I played in a band called Weapon of Choice for a long time, and I got a chance to play with Snoop Dogg, and that was really fun. <laughs> what was that like? <laughs> What was the situation um, playing well, with Snoop Dogg? They hired Weapon of Choice to be his backing band for um, the Jay Leno show. So we practiced, practiced hard to like learn his song. And that was for the show. And then we got to um, go and do it and hang out with him. But we just hung out with him that one day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it was pretty cool. And um, through the same people this kind of like funk scene in LA got to play with Macy Gray and um, I had friends who were playing getting like more and more ahead playing in different bands and um, and then I started playing for a dance company um, out of Philadelphia um, through you know everyone gets connected in different ways so I play through them and then I ended up moving back to the Bay Area after that and um, that's when I got to know Les Claypool and he's the one who put out my first album and really gave me my my big break <laughs> and you and you have an interesting story and in I mean for how you kind of started making music with Les you were in his studio right in in Petaluma um, well he has a studio it's like in West County mm-hmm. of Son- Sonoma County and so, yeah, I went in um, as kind of like just with uh, some of the guys from who I knew from Weapon of Choice. And I went in, and I just brought my sitar with me. I wasn't really supposed to play. And then I, of course, if you bring a sitar, they're going to want you to play. So <laughs> I, I got to play on this um, one song, and then later... Uh, Les called me back to do some vocals on um, an album called The Big Eyeball in the Sky. 
And then it was then that he was like, oh, do you do your own songs? I said, yes. And this is the, the quick version of the story. <laughs> oh, yes, I, I write my own songs. And then um, so he said, well, let's record a couple of your songs. And so I came back. I did a couple songs. And then he called and said, let's do a whole album. I'll put it out on my label. And I just was so excited because you never hear about that kind of, I mean that's kind of like the fantasy of the musician to have that kind of opportunity come um, so I feel very fortunate <laughs> did you <clears throat> at that time had you you'd already written songs like did you have an easy time in the process of like already knowing that you two were going to be connected or like what was the process after he told you like I you know I want this and I want to put it out on my label well I I had always thought I could write a song. I hadn't really, I'd co-written songs with people before and I've done, I had done a little recording, singing and playing, but I hadn't really sat down and written my own song or like found my own voice. And um, so when I had this opportunity, I just went home and wrote all the songs and it just came really naturally to me. And I, I really, I don't know. I think the opportunity pushed me to find my voice, and um, and I was lucky that to work with Les, and he really uh, accepted me for me and my my own style of songwriting and my my voice being the way it is and all of that. So I got to really like do me and not be changed by the system of music <laughs> were there any like specific aesthetics or concepts or or even people that you were even subconsciously channeling when you started doing your project or was it just something that you know came you know came from obviously things are connected but yeah. were there any you were channeling in particular um well I wasn't like I'm gonna write a song like this person or that person but um Bjork has always been like one of my favorite favorite artists and um, I think I definitely like touched upon her vibe for my vocal styles for some of it. And um, and actually, at, as a teenager in high school, I was like a huge Primus fan. And they were at, I went to a Primus concert in Petaluma at the Phoenix Theater. And it was my first concert that my parents let me go to without them. And it was like a really big deal. <laughs> and they made me go with my friend's older brother because only like older brothers like Primus. <laughs> and so I remember I went with him and I was like, oh, I got to go with this guy. And my parents bought him a ticket and stuff. And then he totally ditched me as soon as we got there. And which I was like, thank God. Like, I don't have to hang out with him. And I like did like crowd surfing and everything and then I jumped off the stage and <laughs> so it was a really big deal for Do me to work with Les and he's obviously I mean to me obviously a influence yeah did it came full circle do you think he remembered you from that time no <laughs> <laughs> he knows that I was a fan <laughs> but not the extent to it yeah do you feel like you know in in your creative project of going back to ASMR for a moment and, you know, your music videos, which are 
an art form in itself and, you know, and your sitar, like, do you feel like there's any connection between the sitar or between your music making and your ASMR or do they kind of occupy different places of your brain? Well, I think in retrospect, um, when I when I look at the two different kinds of video making, I see a lot of similarities because I'm really obsessed with fashion and color and video as an art form. Um, and then that's why, like, I think what really pushed me to keep going hard with music was, like, music videos because that really gives me a chance to express myself like and show my fashion ideas and movement and like I was saying I studied a lot of dance in college and um so and to show my intention of like lifting up women and girls supporting girls and that whole thing it comes across so strongly through video and um, so I tried to show like every kind of girl in the videos, not just the girls in the band, but m- lots more. And I bring in all my friends. <laughs> um, and then with the ASMR crafting, again, it's like there's a lot of fashion and color involved and um, the makeup and the and there's a lot of focus on the hands. So like the nails and the jewelry and the whole the whole thing. Image and again, it's the conversation between Sayudi and I um, that is the real focus. And again, bringing it back to women supporting each other and like building those friendships and avoiding the cattiness and the competition. So, because really, it shouldn't be me against you or like who can get more ahead, but like how can we all get ahead? Because really, like, the men, sorry dudes, (laughs) Um, really it's like a male-dominated world. So whatever your race is, women of every race um, need to support each other so that we can lift each other up and get ahead. And And it kind of feels like as you're talking about this that as a genre and an art form, ASMR is a, a hub for that kind of support. Like, I can't really think of a way that ASMR could necessarily be competitive. Like, it feels like, you know, there's successful ASMR or successful with air quotes yeah. or popular ASMR, but there's like ASMR for every single kind of person, for every shade of whatever you're interested in. Like, I was just watching possessive boyfriend ASMR which is you know I don't know the influencers of that genre but some people just need to to hear from a possessive boyfriend to be able to fall asleep you know or like (laughs) hotel check-in ASMR oh my god there's Um, it's like every kind of thing you could think of they could do in a whisper yeah and so of all the I mean just of all the art forms it feels like it's a really good place for that kind of like community support um, and the community is so banded together even though it's such a private and intimate thing. Yeah and I feel like it it feels like a silent but strong community because it is private and you don't I mean usually I'm watching it on my phone by myself or with Sayuri (laughs) or you might send something to a friend but um, 
Whereas like a music thing, you're going to go to a concert or put it on and it's loud and everyone can listen together. But it's really a private thing. But when when I mention to anyone, oh, yeah, well, I, I also do ASMR, like most people are like, oh, my God. Seriously, I love ASMR. And you might have known this person for years, and you had no idea. Yeah. So it's a silent. It's kind of like the key or the core of it is the personal attention, which kind of makes it like a hard thing to be competitive about because it's like you just find an ASMR that speaks to you, that makes you feel heard, seen. And in that way, it's like it's such a healing thing, or it can be a healing thing if you're using it for that. Yeah. And and you guys had talked about doing like a guided meditation. Is there any are there any plans to bring your ASMR to the public outside of the video well, setting? I, I keep pushing for it because I am a performer, but Sayudi, as you can see, because she's in deep meditation right now, not a performer. <laughs> she's she prefers to do the video. like do it through video and I have a vision like maybe we could like do a live thing where people could come and we could whisper to them (laughs) and do a guided whispered meditation and then I could play the sitar and it could be nice but um, maybe in the future that will happen but maybe we'll do a video version or like a live stream might be nice yeah and you could um, do one of those like internet choirs where every person records uh, themselves doing oh. singing something and then you make it into this experimental music collage but it could be with whispering your next level <laughs> you can join our club <laughs> it could be the return to scas you could yes. go back to your roots oh my god and my son Django, he went to scas every week with me and i'd have to like pack all this stuff like the whole coloring zone because we were like this because ha- i really wanted to create an art event that people could come who have families and people who like it's not your whole day you can come with your kids and you can still have afternoon activities or you can come and craft with us and listen to music or do yoga and and then like you can still have a whole day to go out at night it's not a full commitment so but he was just saying, because we drove by the naming gallery, and he was like, why is there no scas anymore? And I was like, dude, that was like two years ago. Like, And he remembers. How do you remember? Like, you were nothing. <laughs> and he and he makes his own videos, too, right? He's also, yes. he's pretty, he's a prolific YouTuber. <laughs> At How old is he now? He's six and exactly three quarters today. Yeah, (laughs) we figured it out last night. We were like, oh, my God, tomorrow, three months till your birthday. So, um, yeah, unfortunately, he's obsessed with YouTube and tutorials. And and then he wanted to create his own tutorials. So he has a few up there. And Do you help him with the editing? Yes. In the filming? (laughs) I fell off because... I am obsessed with YouTube as well. And so you have <laughs> friends in the projects. family. <laughs> what are the tutorials he's made? Um, one is how to draw a fox, which is wow. quite popular. And you can watch it and learn how to draw this cute fox. That sounds actually something I might have yeah. to learn. <laughs> and he's so cute teaching you how to do it. He does the very clear instructions. And then he does how to make papel picados for, you know, the Mexican 
um, garland kind of thing. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> He's a versatile <laughs> tutorialist. Yeah. So I need to really get on that. Maybe this summer we can make some more videos together. But Sayuri took over the editing. She's way better at editing than I am. Originally, I knew how to edit. And then she was like, here, give me that. She's way better at computers. She's so organized, and we really complement each other. Um, so Sayuri does all the editing, and then her husband, Scotty, they just got married. Congratulations. <laughs> Congratulations, you guys. Um, he's our sound designer, and he creates all the like meta music that you hear because we do an enhanced ASMR. It's not just the whispering. It's also It also has this, like... Um, what did I call it? Um, ambient. Yeah. It has this ambient trippy music and enhanced like sound effects. So it's like a super, super hyper sound experience of ASMR. Yeah. So the whole, the whole family is, is contributing. Yeah. (laughs) The big ASMR family. Yeah. And we shoot in Petaluma at the public access studios and um, and they are so awesome there. It's such a cute, like, small town studio. And we shoot there with a production ke- team called um, Eat the Fish, and they are so awesome. They um, they've done some music videos for my band Kitten Tenders. They did one for us, and they did one for the coup um, called Your Parents Cocaine. <laughs> I think that's what it's called. <laughs> and. Um, and they've done one for Snow Angel, and so and then we we do all our our videos with them. <clears throat> They're all connected to your work. Yeah. Well, this was really this was a really great conversation. I'm so happy that you could come in today, um, and looking forward to your your guided meditation and if that's in the future and and all of the videos that you have coming up. Maybe you could do a quick ASMR sign off for us. listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Thank you to Annie Weinstein and her guest Gabby Lala. Our producer today is me, Peter Hartlob. Supervising producers are King Kaufman and Libby Coleman. Executive producer is Tim O'Rourke and our editor-in-chief is Audrey Cooper. Music is Midnight Special by Ease Jammy Jams. Read our columns and subscribe to The Chronicle at www.sfchronicle.com. San Francisco Chronicle podcasts are on Apple Podcasts and other streaming services. Listen at www.sfchronicle.com slash podcasts with an S.